0: Wait I wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. So it kind of gives you an idea of what the lesson's about this morning. It's one of the hardest things we have to do, and so Russ was praying in that line, okay, and that is it's waiting on him and things in your life. It's very hard, and most people think when they think they got to wait they feel like they're. At the door, men, this is the way men think, they're at the door waiting for their wife to come to the door so they can leave. And so they're saying, oh, come on. You know, and they're just sitting there. But the truth of the matter is, God's waiting is an act of wait. You're to be about your father's business. It's like the servant of Abraham when he went to get a bride for Isaac said, I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Okay, so you have that situation with it. And so when it comes to this, and when it comes to relationships, friendships with each other, we should also remember how important it is to have courage, patience, obedience, and faith. Working at a friendship is a great investment, it will pay off in many ways. And you could say that I'm going to tell you any really good marriage ends up becoming a friendship, it needs to be that way. Okay, and so courage, it takes courage to be honest and tell the truth in love. So many times we deal with people and we're not honest with them and they're not honest with us and then you don't know what's going on and then you know what happens? The enemy of your soul will play head games with you. Plain and simple. He'll, you know, it's, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not physical, fleshly, but mighty through God that are pulling down the strongholds. You've got to understand that if you're going to be, get through the Christian life without a bunch of bitterness, hurt, and pain. And that is casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing to captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. When you obey Him... He's responsible for the outcome. When you do it your way, who's responsible for the outcome? The lesson you can learn from David, part of it when it says he's a man after God's own heart, because we're going to be looking at him, is he had to wait on God. He had to wait. I'm telling you from the point on when David said, is there not a cause? When he came to his brothers, he ended up defeating Goliath in that That's when that transition took place, because before that, what had happened? Saul had already heard that he'd failed God, and we're going to see that this morning. So patience, it takes patience for a friendship, develop to grow spiritually, obedience. If two friends can encourage each other to obey God, it makes a strong friendship. God will strengthen faith. Friends that help each other grow in the faith will learn to trust each other even more. All relationships are based off trust. When the trust is broken, the relationship is hindered and has to be restored. Okay. You men in here, you need to understand, women don't think the same way you do. They just don't. You think something's over, you've settled, either you fought and you won and she lost, or you gave in, or she gave in, or you withdrew or she withdrew, and you didn't resolve the issue completely. Then you forget about it. And it sits in the back of a woman's mind, and it comes back to you. You, know, you cast the wrong bread upon the waters, and it will return to you many days later. Because men fight battles, women fight hundred-year wars. It's hard for them to put it out of their mind. Your mind's like a box, their mind's like a computer. You open up a box, you deal with it, you close close that box, go to the next box. They're always thinking about all those things. It's running in the background. And until they can dump the garbage and, and close down that application, it's running in the background. And guys, you're gonna think something is resolved when it's not because you haven't bothered to truly resolve the issue. And that, that becomes very painful, and it's very hard for us to wait. How many, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you guys have thought something was resolved, and then two years later, you run into a problem, and your wife brings back up that thing from two years ago, and you have forgotten totally about it. And she's going, yeah, but do you remember? Okay. You say, where does this come from? Because we need to do it God's way. And waiting upon Him is active. Now, when you're waiting on the Lord to do things in a relationship, you need to do what you can to protect that relationship, to strengthen that relationship. It's an act of waiting. And that's the big thing. It's not sitting on your haunches and saying, Okay, God, show me. That's not how that works. Because you have to fulfill the other parts of obedience to Him. Okay, so now we're going to see this in in David. So I want you to turn to 2 Samuel, chapter 1. We're going to jump around a little bit, okay? 2 Samuel, chapter 1. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul... When David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had abode two days in Ziklag, and it came to pass on the third day, that behold, a man came out of the camp of Saul with his clothes rent, and earth upon his head. And so it was, when he came to David, that he fell on his faith and did obedience. That means he's paying homage to him, he's humbling himself before him. And David said unto him, From whence comest thou? And he said, Out of the camp of Israel I am escaped. And David said unto him, How went the matter? I pray thee, tell me. And he answered, The people are fled from the battle, and many of the people are also are fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. Jonathan and David's heart had been knit together. They were closer than blood brothers. Their hearts were knit together. And and David said unto the young man that told him, How knowest thou that Saul and Jonathan his son be dead, and the young man that told him, said, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and, lo, the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called unto me, and I answered, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And he answered unto him, I am an Amalekite. Well, you know the guy's destined to go then anyways. Study out who the, the Amalekites are. And he said unto him again, Stand, I pray thee, upon me, and slay me, for the anguish has come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him, because I was sure that he could not live after he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head and bracelet that was on his arm, and I brought them hither to my Lord. So you think the guy's doing, the guy, he, you know, he was a Cavorkian, right? He put him out of his misery, you know, that... And David took hold of his clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and Jonathan his son, and for the people of the Lord, and for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. And David said unto the young man that told him, Whence art art thou? And he answered, I am the son of a stranger in Amalekite. And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thy hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. He's thinking, I just brought you news. I did what the guy asked, and I brought you the crown. Succession of the crown. And this is what happened. But you can understand, David had waited patiently. He had run from Saul to keep his own life. He would not touch the Lord's anointed. He didn't go after that who was called of God. And Saul reigned 40 years as king. You look at the account, you know David's going to take over. He learned of Saul and Jonathan's death. And you look at verse 11. And David took hold of his clothes and rent them. You can look out what it means. That doesn't mean he put them out for usury for someone else. He was pulling and tearing his clothes. You see it in verse 11 and 12. Look at verse 17. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. Okay. Look at verse 23. And Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet, with other delights, who put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel." How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen? The weapons of war perished. David's talking like the band of brothers. It's like the camaraderie that men in battle have. And their relationship, there's nothing untoward about that. Men can love men in a godly way. They can have close friends in a godly way. They can be willing to go into battle with each other. And that's the relationship. Jonathan's heart was knit with David. Jonathan knew that David should be ruling and not his father. Jonathan did that was right. Saul did what was on his own heart half the time. He's like, I forced myself. If you tell yourself you forced yourself to do something because it had to be done, then you're out of the will of God. Because the the memory verse says "Is wait upon who? The Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So we have this circumstance. And again... Touch not mine anointed. Look at Proverbs 24. Proverbs chapter 24. David mourned over both Saul and Jonathan. Saul, who tried to kill David multiple times, right? Proverbs 24, in verse 17. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, And let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. I remember having conversations with Dr. Sam Gipp years ago, and I said, how do you handle it when someone goes against you and you have a problem? He says, when I find out they got struggle in their life and they may have attacked me. He learned it from Dr. Ruckman. Believe it or not, you can think all you want. He was this hard, so-and-so, this type of thing. When he found out that someone was in a a rough strait, they had gone through it. He'd send them three hundred dollars. There's times when he'd find out. He'd say, "Go buy your wife a dress and go out to eat. Do something for them." And Sam would say, "Had guys attack." He ended up making a friend out of somebody who had kind of bad-mouthed him, and they became good friends later on because they hit a hard spot. And Sam heard about it, called him up, and said, "I'm praying for you." And then he mailed them an envelope you see what I'm saying to you? Very petty is the person who rejoices over the, the problems of another person. That's not a man or a woman after God's own heart. We need to realize that. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, even the Apostle Paul said, Alexander, the coppersmith, had done me much evil. Let him be what? Anathema, Maranatha. He put them in God's hands and then didn't dwell on that. Because it'll just steal time from your what you're supposed to be doing as you're waiting on God to reveal what His will is for you. Okay, see? So rejoice not when thy enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. When you do that, sometimes God will withdraw from them to teach you To have the right heart. Jesus spoke the truth when he was being persecuted, beaten, whipped, and crucified. But one of the the last sayings on the cross, there's five sayings. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We don't rejoice It's human nature, isn't it? They got theirs. But you don't want that. Not if your heart's going to be right with God. So I want to ask you, what's your first reaction when something happens to somebody you consider who is not your friend and they've given you a hard time or they've given you problems? They're an enemy. Hmm? I have a man who gave me a hard time. He His property's up for sale the guy threatened to shoot my house. He owned property on the pond. I kept trying to reach out to him. I said, we got to come to an understanding. Now, I'm going to tell you, I got in the flesh with him. I said, you ever threatened to shoot at my house or at my wife? I will end you. You don't know who I am. I was a sniper in, in Vietnam, and I don't care who you are. Don't you threaten my wife. And he goes, well, I'll do... And I said, well, that's good, because right now you need to know I'm tape recording everything you're saying. It's right in my pocket. Oh, now we can just resolve this, can't we? And we did, and I I took him venison. I'd stop in to see him. He's donated things to this church. Okay, since then. But what did I have to do? Once I removed danger from my wife, so he understood... I kept reaching to him. Hard man to reach to. Mr. out who sold me all of my property said, Brian, I made one mistake. I sold that guy this. I should have never done that. He's not a good neighbor. How many don't have a good neighbor? You end up giving him a hard time all the time? Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 43. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Do you want to know where that's taken from? Ask me afterwards. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And another parallel passage, it tells you that in so doing, you shall heap burning coals of fire on their head. What are you doing? You're putting it in whose hands? God's hands. Watch what it continues and it says in verse 45, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them that love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans do the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect. That's mature, okay, in a spiritual sense. Even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. We're supposed to become more Christ-like. Now Jesus, he rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees, didn't he? He also showed them mercy. See, because your Bible teaches you in the book of Proverbs, and if you read it once a day, every day, 12 times a year you'll have gone over this verse, and you ought to know it. It says, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. By mercy and truth. You give him the truth. Okay? i ask you again, what's your first reaction when something bad happens to an enemy? Think about it. Now, I want you to turn to 1 Chronicles, chapter 10. We can see why Saul was removed. You can see it. It's not hid. He didn't learn that to obey is better than sacrifice. 1 Chronicles 10 Verse 13, it tells us this. So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord. Even against, so what? He transgressed against God. Even against the word of the Lord. Which he kept not. So he transgressed against God because he transgressed against God's word. And how did you transgress? He was told something and he didn't what? Do it God's way. Which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. And inquired not of the Lord, therefore he slew him and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. Do you see what happened with Saul? He didn't follow God, he didn't listen to the revealed Word of God, he turned to a familiar spirit. If it's not in agreement with God's Word, the leading of the Holy Spirit, it is an unclean spirit. And that is, if you've ever gone to a, a medium, you've ever played... Ouija board. you ever use the eight ball, you need to confess that as sin. You think you're starting a game and you're opening a door. That's a familiar spirit. That's a family spirit. It'll be in your background and it can continue to reach into your family. So you've got to break that chain. And Saul got to the place when he wouldn't do it God's way, he got nervous and he thought he had to do something, so he did what he thought was right instead of doing what God had told him to do through the prophet Samuel. And then later on, because he was upset and because God says, okay, I'm not hearing you. Because we're told in the Psalms, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will what? Not hear me. So you have to keep your account short with God. Because he says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He desires the relationship, but he won't violate his word to have it with you. So he's giving you a way to restore it. Saul didn't do that. Saul never repented. He went, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what it cost me. He never repented of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? The difference? So he sought that. You know, what would have happened if David hadn't been patient? He might not have ended up receiving the kingdom. Question Have you ever missed an opportunity by not being patient and getting ahead of things? Gotta do something. I just love I, mean, I just love that. I had to have a Jeep cj5 i got stuck more with the first four-wheel drive vehicle i had just ask howard bacon he pulled me out of more cricks okay because i had to have that i didn't ask god on that i refused to counsel on another one i wanted something with better gas mileage john john smiling because he said brian don't buy that car and i go but it's a renault alliance and it gets 37 miles the gallon. And he goes, yeah, but I know about them. It's not going to be good. I didn't listen. You know, seek the counsel of someone who knows about that thing. And I didn't say, hey, Lord, I'm, is it okay to buy this thing? There's, I talk to God that way now. Should I do this or shouldn't I do this? And I bought that thing. That's the car that I twisted the steering wheel right off the column to keep from killing somebody. And I got my neck injury from when they ran... It, a stop sign in front of me. Twisted it right off. It was so small that that's the reason I have the damage to my neck because my head went forward to the, the, the doorpost and I hit that doorpost. You would have broken your neck, you'd be dead. Me, I'm too much of a meathead. Okay? But I wasn't, shouldn't have bought that car. So I want you to understand something. What happens? I'm just giving you examples with me. So I want you to know. Okay? You know what patience is? Patience is a demonstration of the trust of God. All relationships are built off trust. Patience is a demonstration of your trust in God. It's also a sign of maturity. Kids are in a rush. They've got to have it. They're starving. They haven't eaten in three hours. They're going to die. <laughs> okay, so he waited patiently. He was made king. God slowly opened the doors to his kingship. You ever notice when you have something, you want to give it to them, if you give them all at once, either they can't handle it, they aren't ready for it, it needs to be done in stages. Go to First Samuel 16. You still with me? 1 Samuel 16. This is when David was chosen. Okay, and Samuel didn't know who to choose. In verse 7, it says But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And all those sons came before him, and he was told of God that it was David. I'll look at verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. He anointed him God's choicest king. So David immediately went out and cut off Saul's head, gutted Jonathan, and took the throne. No. See, he started. It was a private recognition between God and David. His family didn't even understand what was going on. They thought he was the sassy mouth, ruddy little kid who didn't stay where he was supposed to. Right? Isn't that what his brothers told him? Second, after Saul's death, the men of Judah anointed David king in Hebron. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 2. We read a lot in 2 Samuel chapter 1 about their lamenting, David's mourning for his king, God's chosen, and for his brother, Jonathan. 2 Samuel chapter 2, look at verse 4. And the men of Judah came and there anointed David king over the house of Judah, And they told David, saying, that the men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. So he's anointed by the tribe of Judah. He's a man after God's own heart. He's a picture of the lion of the tribe of Judah, which is a reference to who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Judah was one of the 12 southern tribes. David was from this tribe, as well as Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. That's why the Jews couldn't understand him being a great high priest. He wasn't Levitical. Okay. He was Melchizedek, or however you want to say it. He was of Melchizedek. Hebron, where they anointed him, is just 19 miles south of Jerusalem, And that's the headquarters of Judah. He reigned there for seven years. Look at 2 Samuel 5.5. He's not king over all of Israel yet. 5.5, it says of David, In Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. Then you see, And in Jerusalem he reigned thirty and three years over all Israel and Judah. So he reigned seven years and six months. Been told of God he's going to be king. He's got one tribe and eleven aren't with him. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8. What you have here is they anointed David, and David sent messengers, verse 5, to Jabesh the men of Jabez-Gilead, and said, Blessed be ye the Lord, that ye have showed kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. So David was still concerned about how things were done to his king. And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you. I also will requite you this kindness, because ye have done this thing. Therefore now let your hands be strengthened, and be ye valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah have anointed me king over them. Now look at this. But Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ithbasheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim and made him king over Gilead and over the Asherites and over Jezreel and over Ephraim and over Benjamin and over all Israel. So he was over the 11 tribes. So a general put in who he wanted to be. He wasn't going to surrender it to David. That sounds like South American politics. Okay, So he makes Ebosheth king over the rest. Abner then moved the headquarters to the other side of Jordan to protect themselves. God's plan was for David alone to rule over Israel. Again, go back to 1 Samuel, chapter 13. When Saul sinned, This is what God told Saul, verse 14. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after, this is where we get that saying, David, a man after God's own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord, what? Christian, don't think God can bless you when you don't follow God's word. It's that simple. You may go well for a time, but it doesn't stay there, and you miss the blessing. So many times we don't know what we have until it's not in our lives, after we've experienced it. God will forgive you and restore you, but you need to do it His way. That's why it says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. That's the point of this whole this lesson. It's to learn the truth that sometimes you just got to wait on God. So many times today, you know, it's like we get caught in this. It was God's plan for David to rule alone. Christians today are like the Jews of that day. We can permit our king to reign over just part of our lives, and the rest is conflict and sorrow. Question this morning What areas of your life? Do you struggle handing over to the Lord? Everyone has some area they struggle with. That's so hard to wait on the God. Okay, 2 Samuel 5, 3. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months because he had a battle with Abner. David didn't want to have to go after the the children of Israel. They were God's chosen people. They were his people. But he had to. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So here he's anointed king in Hebron. God begins to bless him. Look at 2 Samuel 3 in verse 1. Now there was a long war, yeah, seven years and six months, people. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed what? You can't fight against God. And you find out that the man after God's own heart was winning wars by God's grace. If you don't understand, you can turn around. There's people in this country that are going against Israel. You've got to realize, that when they came back to be reborn as a nation in 1947-48, it was a miracle. Russia and all the Arab countries went against them in 1967. And they brought in so much armament and hit it on the coast. In Syria, they had tunneled, they'd used machines and made caves. America had sent over a few of our scrap air, our, our planes, and their pilots shot down all of the planes that came against them. This small little army, it was like God directed the bullets out of the machine guns. And they took control of it. And Israel won that war, study the background. They were vastly outnumbered, over 100 to 1. They did not have air superiority, they had God. It took them, I believe, 12 weeks of a constant tractor trailer caravan to empty all the armament that Russia had brought in for the Muslims to use against Israel to bring it back into a safe loading area. You can read about that history. You can't fight against God's people. People are trying to turn on Israel because they're fighting against Hamas right now who puts their headquarters underneath a hospital and still killing people. And he say, how can they dare do that? So be careful how you judge this. You've got to understand, that's God's chosen people and He will miraculously help them. They are the most blessed and the most cursed people. Okay. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 5. And the sons of Rimmon the Berethite, Rechab and Bena, went and came about the heat of the day to the house of Ithbosheth, who lay on the bed at noon. And they came thither into the midst of the house as though they would have fetched wheat. And they smote him under the fifth rib. In other words, you know what they do? They stabbed him in the heart. That's where it's under the fifth rib. And Rechab and Banah his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he lay on his bed in his bedchamber, and they smote him, and they slew him, and beheaded him, and took his head, and gathered them away through the plain all night. Now, guess what they're going to do? They might as well be an Amalekite. And they brought the head of Ithbosheth unto David, to Hebron, and said to the king, Behold, the head of Ithbosheth, the son of Saul, thine enemy, "...who sought thy life, and the Lord hath avenged my lord the king this day of Saul and his seed. And David answered Rechab and Baanah his brother, the sons of Rimmon the Beirothite, and said unto them, As the Lord liveth, who hath redeemed my soul out of all adversity, when one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good tidings, I took hold of him and slew him in Ziklag, who thought I would have given him a reward for his tidings." How much more when wicked men have slain the righteous person in his own house upon his bed? Shall I not therefore now require his blood of your hand and take you away from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they slew them and cut off their hands and their feet and hanged them up over the pool in Hebron. And they took the head of Ithbosheth and buried it in the sepulcher of, Abran, or, excuse me, of Abner in Hebron. You see how that word? You gotta let God fight for you. Hmm. God will bring it about. People are always trying to help God out. Do you know that? I've done it. Have you ever tried to just help God out? You know, we can just give a little impetus, you know, and we've prayed about it and we know God will get on in our on our direction. Thinking they're gonna win favor with somebody? You don't win favor. David's a man after God's own heart. He's not going to touch God's anointed. He was 33 years old at this time, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 33 years. Isn't that amazing? Don't rejoice over bad things happening to your enemy. You put them in God's hand. They told you, Paul said, let them be anathema, maranatha. You turn them over to God and you go forward so they don't have to take any of your thoughts. Because let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. David makes Jerusalem the capital of Israel. He needed a capital capital city, so he chose Jerusalem. Now, David was a Bethlehemite, but he chose Jerusalem. Look at 1 Kings 14. We're getting down towards the end of this. 1 Kings 14. Look at verse 21. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was forty and one years old when he began to reign, and he reigned seventeen years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. God had chosen it. He was following through it. And choosing the right place. It came from the heart of God. At that time, Jabus was still ruling in Jerusalem. It was still a pagan city. That's why it's called Jebusites. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 5. They were arrogant, the Jebusites. You know, this was a fortified city, no one's going to overcome them. 2 Samuel chapter 5. Verse 5, And in Hebrew he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned thirty-three years over all Israel and Judah. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither, thinking David cannot come in hither. You know what he's saying to them? They taunted David by saying even the lame and the blind could defeat Israel. You don't think so? Go to First Chronicles, CHAPTER eleven. Then all Israel gathered themselves to David unto Hebron, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. And moreover, in time past, when Saul was king, thou wast he that ledest out and broughtest in Israel, and the Lord thy God said unto thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be the ruler over my people Israel, because he was a shepherd king, and a good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Therefore came all the elders of Israel to the king in Hebron, and David made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jabus. Where the Jebusites were in the inhabitants of the land, and the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, "Thou shalt not come hither, nevertheless David took the castle of Zion, which is, is the city of David, and David said, "Whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. So Joab, the son of Zeruah, went up first, went first up, and was chief, and David dwelt in the castle, and therefore they called it the city of David, and he built the city round about even from Milo round about, and Joab repaired the rest of the city, and David waxed greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. They took it. Names of Jerusalem, the city of God, Mount Zion, my holy mountain. Got questions for you. Why do you think people fight over Jerusalem today? God put His name there. God put His name there. First Kings fourteen and verse twenty one. Again, I'm just going to show you. It says, he "Rehoboam ruled seventeen years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put His name there." It's the most controversial city in the world. It belongs to Israel. The Catholics try to take claim. There's cathedrals there. The Muslims try to take claim. Dome of the Rock, Dome of the Wind. The Dome of the Wind's going to fall, and they're going to rebuild the temple. It has to do with God's name being there, it causes conflict. Let this mind be in you, which also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, this is the way we're supposed to be, and became obedient, this is the way we're supposed to be, unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above what? That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, of things in earth, of things under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's name is in Jerusalem. That's the city of the king. That's where Jesus returns to at the second coming. That's why it's the battleground. It'll be a place where he rules from for a millennium. Psalm 2. And we're done. Go to the book of Psalms, chapter 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their hands asunder, and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall He speak unto them in His wrath, and vex them in His sore displeasure. Yet I have set, what? My King upon my holy hill in Zion. I will declare the decree, the Lord has said to me, Thou art my Son, this day I have begotten Thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, and be instructed, ye judges of the earth. A thousand year reign from the most fought over city in the history of mankind. David waited. God blessed him. That's how he was a man after God's own heart. He was a good waiter. He would not put his hand on the man chosen of God. And then when he made sinful acts in his life, he repented of them. He was a good repenter. So, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Take a break.